Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Pulse, where we cover trends in the economy, markets, and asset allocation for long-term investors. I'm Matt Palazzolo. As part of our ongoing series to understand the latest developments around the coronavirus and the prospects for treatments and vaccines, Bernstein Research's U.S. biopharma analyst Ronnie Gal once again joined our co-head of investment strategy, Beata Kerr, to discuss what life might look like once we have a vaccine. Will anti-vaxxers and vaccine skeptics stand in the way of our ability to end the pandemic? What might the evidence for the vaccine look like, and will people trust it? Will we have a vaccine passport allowing us to move around freely? I think you'll find their conversation to be quite interesting. Let's talk about whether people want to get vaccinated. Let me just mention that you've published a really interesting piece on this in the end of um, July, and it was titled, you know, Could Anti-Vaxxers Sink the Recovery? And you cited a lot of interesting surveys here. I'm going to cite one of what I think is the most interesting to just kick off this conversation. Apparently, 36% of Americans believe that aliens have visited the Earth. 26% of Americans believe that astrology predicts future events. 13% of Americans believe vampires are real. And 10% of Americans believe the moon landing was fake. So all of those stats exist. And then next to that survey, it stated that 8% of Americans believe vaccines are unsafe for children. Okay, so first of all, where did those numbers come from? Oh, the, the survey about vaccines unsafe for children is data that is actually done in a quality way by the CDC who wants to follow this. The other ones, we, we literally just went online and began to look for essentially media publications on those issues, more to give people a feel for how threatening that 8% number is. Mm-hmm. And the short answer is that if you do service, you get 8% to say anything to take almost any position. So, so the argument there is a big group of people who are um, very sharply against vaccine is, is probably not true. There's a bit of an element, there's a small group of, uh, we, we used to joke that there's a dumbbell um, on the fringes. So mm-hmm. there's a fringe on the far right that is against vaccine as a, some sort of a government conspiracy to enslave us. Uh, and there is a, a group of, on the fringes on the, on the left which is more around the, my, the purity of my body and vaccines being unnatural. And, you know, it's evil for you the same way that processed food is, is evil. So there, there's a group on, on both sides, on the, both edges, that is against vaccines on, on a kind of policy level. And they don't see the risk-reward as being balanced in favor of vaccines, but that's a very small group. To kind of pass to the next point is, that is not the one you want, we want to worry about. Right. You want to worry about what's called the vaccine skeptics, which people that, you know, with decent foundation argue that you have here a new vaccine and to some extent new technology. Um, and we want to be careful before we go out there and immunize everybody uh, with, uh, with those vaccines. And that population, depends on how you ask the question, is, could, could be as high as a third of the U.S. public. 
Let me stop you there for a second. So basically, a third of the U.S. public could feel not so great about getting vaccinated. Your point is that, you know, while 8% are these hardcore anti-vaccine for, uh, you know, a variety of reasons, there is a larger percentage of the population that if asked differently, you know, around today's vaccine question, it's, it's a more substantial portion of the population that's skeptical, right? And, I, and I've seen that data be supported with recent polls you know, across the board, I actually thought it was even higher than 35%. But I just wanted to stop and clarify that's what we're talking about here in today's environment around the, you know, the current views. Okay. And so what do we do with that? Because that sounds like a pretty large percentage of the population. You know, we did a lot of work on this. And we don't think that that skepticism is going to stop the U.S. from being vaccinated and getting to what people think about as the um, herd immunity threshold where the disease will down its own. Um, there is uh, three or four reasons why. First, you know, I, I'm, you know, I would be skeptical about those vaccines as well until the full database is available. So one thing that will happen between now and the time that you are able to take the vaccine um, is that we will have databases for multiple drugs with 30,000 patients or more uh, that will show how safe the vaccines are. So if you ask me, will I be trusted vaccine that was tested in 15 or 20 people? The answer is no. Will I trust the vaccine that was, treat, was given to 30,000 people, including people of my race, age, and comorbidities? I will probably feel a lot, a lot safer. So, so one thing to remember is we will have a lot more data by the time that the vaccines will be offered uh, to uh, the population. Second, um, everybody has an opinion, but there are people who are professional about this, and they are at the FDA, um, and they are at the uh, National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and they would look at this data very carefully, and they will vouch for the quality of the data and the fact that these uh, vaccines are low risk, certainly much lower than the benefits they provide. Um, and that does have weight. Certainly with the medical community of people that know those people, they were typically the guys who were the best in their class in medical school and have gotten the best jobs and had the best careers and wrote the best papers. So the medical profession um, and the experts will have to vouch for those uh, drugs to do, and this will have uh, some effect. Third, we will have a public effort to vaccinate the public, including public announcement. The vaccines will be available for free, and they'll be available at your doctor's office. In the past, when the U.S. have moved with the Vaccine for Children program to make vaccines popular, we have seen both economic factors and the availability of the vaccines uh, at the corners to have a big impact. So mm-hmm. between the data available, the experts supporting it, the vaccines available around the corner for lower cost, there will be, um, there, there will be a, a drive to vaccinate. Yeah. The last one I would make is, the, despite the skepticism, the U.S. population does vaccinate its children, okay? Fairly uniformly, uh, you need to do it to go into school. But in general, you know, people vaccinate their kids because they see the risk reward as, as worth it, even if they are a little bit skeptical of maybe there is a small chance something bad will happen, they see the benefit here. With vaccination, there clearly will be benefit, okay? You will not have to worry about infecting your elderly relatives Okay. If you're the elder relatives, your risk uh, near term is, is, is much lower uh, and you're probably less concerned about side effects that, 
might emerge 30 years later. Um, uh, second, for travel, we probably will need to show vaccination. You want to go to France, the French will probably ask you to be vaccinated before you come. And there are some jobs where it will be very hard for you to go to your job without being vaccinated. And there might be businesses that actually argue uh, that they want their employees vaccinated before they show up to work. Medical professions are one. Uh, schools, you know, gyms. Uh, would you can think about the restaurant that says, you know, all our employees have been vaccinated as an argument towards uh, as, an, as an argument for convincing people to come and dine. So, so there will be some uh, logic why people want to uh, be vaccinated for the benefit of uh, immunization, both from a health perspective and from a commercial perspective. Yeah. So, between those four and our experience that people do vaccinate. Uh, especially the elderly, for example, do vaccinate regularly with uh, with uh, flu. We think that uh, the risk that we will not get enough people vaccinated is low. So, just to quote you a few uh, a few numbers in terms of uh, people who are vaccinated today, uh, let's take away the the childhood vaccines, but HPV for teenage girls uh, in the about seventy percent. And here is the idea: is that you can avoid cancer later on in life. Hepatitis B, uh, 92% of the U.S. population gets vaccinated. Uh, flu vaccine, typically 73% for children above, above the age of 65, 68% of the population regularly gets vaccinated. This is all data from the CDC. So if you kind of look at, despite the skepticism, even with choice, the vast majority of the U.S. population get vaccinated, and we believe that will be the case going forward. Okay. Now you made a convincing case. So, you know, if I were to summarize, it's basically around the idea that while there might be a group of hardcore opponents to the concept of vaccination, and while there may be a broader skepticism today because of the speed of development or a variety of other reasons, you believe that number one, the data and the magnitude of the trials will provide more comfort for people in terms of the vaccine development. As you pointed out, if you see evidence on uh, people like yourself, having confidence in that will help drive outcomes, as well as a you know, concerted public advocacy campaign. And then I, I really think one of your most interesting points is this idea of a vaccine passport concept, right? That what today's temperature checks and symptom screening that we're now used to being asked, right? And as we think about our kids going back to school in person are really part of the day-to-day -day life right now in America, that becomes a different day-to-day -day with the vaccine passport idea because you could very well see the notion that schools say just like they do with all the other vaccines, you can't attend school unless your immunizations are up to date. Um, so the vaccine passport idea I find to be the most interesting even just within our borders, right? Like not thinking about it to travel, but to think about it to conduct your daily life in society and let's see where that goes. Yeah, I think that that last point I want to be a bit careful around. So, so I don't believe there'll be mandated requirements to get those vaccinations in 2021. I think it's mm -hmm. it's a bit early uh, for an employer or even a school or even a, a hospital to tell its employee vaccine was approved yesterday. We want you to be a, to be vaccinated today. I think the pressure to vaccinate will first be more moderate um, and will be a choice that is preferred. And somewhere in 2022 or 2023, if the vaccines do prove themselves to be efficacious and no side effects emerge, um, we could see a movement towards essentially requiring vaccination as a condition 
for attending a, a workplace or or participating in activity or or traveling domestically. I think what could happen more clearly is you know New Zealand and countries with low low rates of disease today will probably move reasonably early to require foreigners to travel to them to be vaccinated. Um, but I think within domestic requirements will we'll come later. Um, something we didn't cover, but it's probably worth just mentioning is there actually there is no right not to be vaccinated. The U.S. can, under the U.S. law, you can be required to be vaccinated. Mm. Uh, there are some uh, counter laws that give you some rights, like uh, the Equal Rights Act or the Freedom of Religions. But in general, the U.S. government can require you to be vaccinated. Uh, that is a 19th century decision that, that still holds today. So, so there is, there is a, a long history for um, pre- preference for public health over individual rights when it comes to vaccination. Um, it is probably not going to be the first thing that happened, though, as soon as the vaccine gets uh, get approved. Interesting. Interesting. Well, this has been a really a great conversation, Ronnie. We've covered so much where we are in development and uh, timeline and then the, the controversies around vaccination. So I really appreciate it. And just with our remaining maybe two or three minutes, maybe we could take on a bit of a lightning round question with this idea of we're recording at the end of August. And I don't know about you, but our kids' schools open on Monday. Now, open um, is a strong word because both of my kids' schools are opening remote. They originally um, tried to open otherwise and then pivoted to remote uh, for a number of weeks. And um, as you can imagine, like the rest of the country, there's been a lot of controversy where it does feel like there's nothing that anybody can do right in this regard. So here's my lightning round question to you. If you were on a school board and looking at these decisions how would you make those decisions about whether to open the school or not? And how comfortable would you feel sending your kids today? So one of my kids is going to be remote. My other kid will actually go to school. So I'm, 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 I got both. Um, I'll say it that way. I'm reasonably convinced that we will see an increase in the level of infections once the fall comes around. Um, the data shows that kids are at least moderate carriers. Uh, they will get mixed a lot, so the infection, infection between the rate between them will certainly increase. And the experience we're seeing right now in Europe suggests that uh, everywhere where they were able to suppress the disease using strong distancing measures, as soon as those are alleviated, you are seeing an increase um, in effect. So there will be an increase. Uh, the question is just how much. So what I will tell uh, school boards is to, to the extent they want to open, it's got to be when they have facilities that allow them to isolate small group of kids so they will not have an early infections of the entire school. That is, if infection happens, it happens in a small pond or small subgroup of the kids. And I will tell them to be ready to close if necessary. And I will tell them to have uh, vaccine testing available on a voluntary basis uh, on the school premises. So if teachers or employees want to be tested uh, every week or two, they can do that. If parents uh, want the children to be tested, it's available right then and there, so you can catch the infection early on. So that will be my immediate recommendation. The other thing we haven't discussed is how, eff- how effective is the distance learning? I think to some extent with my kids, that was exactly what happened. My daughter was in a school that had very ineffective distance learning, so they're moving into in-person. And my son, I was in a school that actually developed a pretty good program for distance learning, and and they're staying with it. So that's the um, other side of the consideration, how far are the kids falling behind. But I will tell you right now, don't panic if you see a spike up in cases. It, it's very reasonably going to happen. The question is how quickly, how sharp, 
and can we get on top of it? My personal feeling is I'm kind of like holding my breath for November 1st and asking like, you know, can we just keep it go low for two more months and then since we'll be here to, to help us, but I'm not being too optimistic we will not see anything. I think we'll see something. November 1st being because that's the vaccine trials that you're looking for the key data to come out. I just want to differentiate that it has nothing to do with the election because that is a very common area of focus. And because early November is also the election date, I think it's important to just clarify that what you're looking forward to is the data on those trials. And I will make make one more point about, since you mentioned the election, I, I hear people about the concern around the election issue. I don't believe we will get a vaccine approved that is not being properly vetted, one. Um, and two, the data will all be public, mm-hmm. okay? So you and I can review the data for ourselves and figure if we are convinced about the efficacy and safety of those vaccines and the basis for their approval. So in the political season, especially this one, there's a lot of noise coming. Um, but my uh, personal take is that I, I'm far less concerned about unworthy um, therapies and vaccine making into the market. Thank you. Thanks again, Ronnie, for joining me today. And thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to both Ronnie and Beata for that enlightening discussion. And thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't yet subscribed to our podcast, Please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts to subscribe and to rate us. Bernstein, making money meaningful for individuals, families, and foundations for over 50 years. Visit us at Bernstein.com.